Here it is, y'all, as promised. The thrilling conclusion of The Writer's Block, The Simpsons Mini Marathon. Part one was, of course, our last episode with Mike Reese. If you haven't already listened to it, do yourself a favor and plug it into your ear holes right now. It's amazing. And yet somehow, much like The Godfather and Star Wars and Gremlins, The New Batch, part two is as good, if not better. There, I said it. Felt good, too. Our guest this week is Mike Scully, longtime Simpsons writer, Simpsons showrunner, writer and producer for The Simpsons movie, Mike also wrote for Everybody Loves Raymond, Parks and Rec, and is currently developing a new live-action Seth MacFarlane-produced show for Fox called Dads, coming soon to a theater near you, if you watch TV in a theater, or you have a home theater. I don't know, look, that's just the way it came out. Listen, this guy, Mike Scully, knows what he's talking about, and he's on Writer's Block Podcast to share it with you, the lucky listener. Even though you should probably be concentrating more on driving your car or changing a diaper or whatever else it is you're doing right now, curing cancer. I mean, nobody just listens to a podcast, right? Am I alone on that? Anywho, this is a good one, Blockheads. We get the usual background story. You'll never guess who was the first person to pay Mike to write jokes, but I'll give you some clues. Lovable Russian comic, huge in the 80s, named after a popular vodka. Look, just ask your dad. Mike shares the specific scene that made him a lifelong Simpsons fan, tells us how fighting with your spouse, while certainly a strain on a relationship, can be a goldmine for story ideas. He provides invaluable insight on the differences between writing for single cam, multicam, and animation, and finally, finally, reveals to the world the true origin of Spider-Pig. It's got everything. This episode has everything. The only person happier than me that you tuned in should be you. So whatever you're doing, drop it. Pull the car over. Put the baby down. Cure cancer another day. That shit can wait. It's time to focus. You're part of the writer's block now. Let's do this. We're still in the casting process now, but we just cast Martin Mull. Always nice. Really fun. Yeah. That is always funny. He is. <laughs> I was watching, um, I, I had an opportunity to interview somebody who had um, written for Fernwood Tonight. Oh, wow. So, because uh, so, I wanted to get uh, I an, an old school guy. Yeah. And so I started watching a bunch of Fernwood, or like clips from Fernwood yeah. Tonight that were online. And it's, uh, they had some kid on that they were very excited about who played piano. And he's just such a great pianist. And, you know, and they were getting very serious about right, it. Yeah. Stuff. So they have the kid come out and he starts playing piano. And he's, playing, he's a young kid, 14 or something, playing this nice classical piece. And then they have these beautiful women in bikinis just come out and start yeah. sitting next to him, turning the page for him, one of them <laughs> lays on the piano and gives him water and just trying to distract the kid. And then afterwards, they all come over and Martin Mull completely ignores the kid and and interviews all the women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite, I don't know why I always remember this joke from that show, was right at the beginning of the show, they said, uh, you, know, you know, on tonight's show, they were listing the guests for, for the show. Uh-huh. It was, you know, on tonight's show, a man who owns a building. <laughs> uh, it's so nice to like, yeah. Uh, yeah, to hear a line like that and, yeah. and, then, and then know that when they came up with it, they saw that humor in it and yeah. decided that they were going to be yeah. confident that other people would see it too. That's the tough part. 
And I believe he was the first guest listed. I think that was I also loved. Oh yeah, it wasn't true. even like the third guest. It was your the first. first that was your go-to. That was going to keep the audience <laughs> riveted. You know? Right, right. That's not the person that comes on in the yeah. last five minutes exactly. who like juggles. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sitting here uh, in a, uh, a in an expansive corner office. You got the corner office. Yes, somehow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, Mike Scully. A longtime uh, writer and uh, producer and showrunner for The Simpsons, and uh, I, your your resume goes on and on and on, sir. It, well, that's because I'm old. Uh, yeah, well, that's <laughs> one thing. It's one way to get to it. <laughs> yeah, I've been very lucky. I've uh, worked on uh, shows like uh, Parks and Recreation, Everybody Loves Raymond, um, and uh, some other lesser known uh, shows like uh, What a Country, Out of This World, Top of the Heap. I'm, I should probably Keep leave. Going. I should probably leave spaces so the audience at home can applaud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last year I did a, an animated version of uh, Napoleon Dynamite You're right. for Fox that lasted a whopping six episodes. It was funny though. it was well done. We we had a lot of fun doing it. We had we got a, a weird launch schedule for the show. They decided to put it on Sunday nights during the height of football playoffs and awards season. So we were on one week, then off the next. Like two, in Jan, you start in January, January on yes, Sunday nights. Exactly, yeah. So it, and then and good luck. One of the weeks we were on, we were opposite against the dead Whitney Houston Grammys, as I've uh-huh. come to call <laughs> that. I because I remember that Saturday night uh, when it, the story broke that she died. It was like my first thought was, okay, we're fucked Sunday night. There you go. Yeah. everyone's gonna watch. Oh, Grammys. and you know, uh, yeah. my my blessings to her family. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, and uh, sorry for your yeah. loss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's uh, let me do one thing because you normally like I don't have such a big table, right? And uh, um, and because I only have this mic with me now, mm-hmm. this turns turns into that. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that. it's big. So yeah. and it's so hard. Like I do the same thing. You'll yeah. see me doing it. Yeah. But I've gotten a little better at kind of like I'll, I'll sit on my hands. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to lay down any rules. But it it, it becomes like if you if you've ever listened to these kind of things, it becomes like ridiculously distracting. Oh okay. Especially when we got the rings. All right. We got the married men yes, keep doing yes. this. And it, <laughs> It becomes craziness. Yeah, you don't want to interview any like multiple Super Bowl winners. Then I guess yeah. that would be no. quite noisy. Who would want to do that? <laughs> you know, I met uh, Joe Montana once. Did you really? Yeah, that oh. was. Uh, um, I'm often asked about whether or not I meet the guests at uh, at the Daily Show, and right. we we are discouraged from doing that. Just as a rule from the beginning, it's right. like let's not start a floodgate here. Yes. But I grew up in the Bay Area through the '80s, and yeah. so when I heard that Joe Montana was going to be on the show, which was a long time ago, yeah. I said, well, this is, I, I went up to this guy, Hank Gallo, who I, yeah. I've known for years, and he was the audience, or the, the, the booker. I said, you, I, look, I, you know I don't do this, but you have to let me meet this guy. Yeah. And I did. It was very pleasant. I worked out what I was going to say to him. Yes, yes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it went well. I was so happy with myself. Like I, That's great. That's and, great. Uh, I just got to meet uh, Bruce Springsteen for the first time uh-huh. a few weeks ago, and I've been a fan for 40 years. I, I started going when I was 16, and I'm 56 Did you grow up now. on the East Coast? I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, okay. yeah. And so I went to a, the, a charity thing for Music Cares, uh, and they were honoring him as Person of the Year. Uh-huh. Yeah. In fact, John, John Stewart was hosting, yeah. and he was hilarious. Great. Uh, and One of them might have been my joke. I'm not sure we didn't have Oh, really? Yeah, yeah we wrote he, a few he jokes was, for him. He was really funny. But Bruce was sitting maybe about you know six tables away from where I was, 
And I've, you know, all these years, I've, you know, I've seen hundreds of shows, never, never met the man. And my wife said, this is your chance. He's, you know, he's down here. Just go. And I, I, I was very nervous. I finally decided, oh, screw it. I'm going to do it. And I literally, there was such a crowd around him. I found myself shoving Sting and Elton John <laughs> out of the way to break through the crowd uh, to get to Bruce to shake his hand. And, uh, and, and But I, I got to, and it was, uh, it was quite a thrill. Uh, that's not, hilarious. Not for Excuse him, me, but, Sting. But for me. Yes, Excuse yes. me, Mr. I John. I, and I'm a huge fan of both of this, but yeah. I, I just pushed him aside. <laughs> I'm on a mission. Yeah. Love you guys, but I got yes, something to yeah, do yeah. here. Yeah, I'll meet you some other time. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I get the... Um, because uh, I, I, I did, I actually wrote that down that on your Twitter at Scully Mike, you uh, on the, you list a few things you like, yeah. and it is this: Springsteen, Petty, Foo Fighters, Springsteen, L.A. Kings, and Springsteen. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and NRBQ I think is it. RB, yeah, NRBQ. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I, my interests haven't changed much since I was 16. They're, yeah. they're pretty much the same. I dress kind of the same. Right. I guess the only new one in that list would be Foo Fighters because they weren't around when I was 16. Right, right, right. Uh, but no, I'm basically the same guy. It's all just, you know, uh, Springsteen and hockey. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much it. The, uh, you know, when uh, John did another thing with Springsteen, the Kennedy Center Honors. Yeah. He introduced yeah. him at the Kennedy Center Honors. That was awesome, yeah. And, um, and... We, I remember when he did that, you know, we knew like Friday is going down to do this. It was a Saturday thing. And on Monday, I come in and we're working on the show and uh, um, I'm on one of the pieces and we get called in for rewrite. And so we're in the rewrite room and it's uh, 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 myself, the person, uh, the other writer that I'm working with, um, John, executive producers, head writer, you know, that this right. kind of like relatively small seven, eight people group. And we do our thing. We go through the, the rewrite. Here's the notes. Okay, we're going to go off and rewrite it. We're leaving. And I say, well, hey, wait a minute. How was, how'd Saturday go? And John says, oh, wait a minute. Wait right here. Runs into his office, comes back with his phone, and plays for us the message that Bruce Springsteen left for him the day after the honors. Oh. And so it's, and so it's <laughs> Springsteen's voice, undoubtedly. Yes. And it, and it was so funny because he was just like, he just started laughing right away. For some reason, he, he started the message laughing. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's, just, he's just, I don't do Bruce Springsteen. He's yeah. like, John, John, you know, if you do Springsteen, you just whisper loudly. Right, yes, that's yeah. That's the secret yeah. to so He said, John, Jay, I got to tell you, man, it was, it was just so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just loved it. It was great, man. Really appreciate it. So great to meet you. And, ah, man. It's, this is so funny. <laughs> and so we're busting up. Oh, and, then we, and then we left. And I was with another writer. His name is Jason Reich. And we walked out of there. And I stopped, him for, I stopped him for a second. And I said, you know what, man? That was another one of those moments. That we, that was just, we yeah. were just in a room with seven people. One of them is John Stewart, who everybody right. like goes nuts over. Yeah. And he's playing for us on his iPhone a message that Bruce Springsteen <laughs> yes, left for him yeah. to compliment him on what a good job he did introducing him at the Kennedy Center yeah. honors. And that was a thrill. And the, and the guy, and, and Rich goes, holy shit, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You know, that's you overlook amazing. those moments yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. So it was really, yeah. it was really fun. <laughs> um... I, uh, as I think you know, I spoke last, uh, uh, the last episode was with uh, Mike Reese. You know, I really kind of asked him a lot about the characters and the development, the creation. And he would say, well, you know, in episode three, literally right. episode three, <laughs> we, we needed a cop. So we came up with Wiggum and we needed some ruffians. So we came up with Jimbo and all, you know, and all these right. things. So, so it was sort of like, 
Um, because uh, my original question, I thought, was was something that I had thought about was, like, you know, obviously there are so many characters on that show. Yeah. How many of them did you guys know about ahead of time? He's like, the family and Burns. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and about three weeks in, we knew that Smithers was gay, but we didn't, weren't going to mention it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. He said, after that, it was just, we started making, we just, well, you need one, you put him in. If he, he sticks, he sticks, like spaghetti or something. But Yeah, yeah. I think I joined the show, like, around... I think episode 72 was my first one. So a lot of the townspeople were already in place right. at that point. Uh, but then we started adding characters. You, you think you're adding them just for the one episode, for the story you need to tell. Right. But if you find one that's kind of gold uh, and the actor does something really funny and unexpected with it, there's a character named Gil that was brought in for... So like good. We created for one episode where Marge was selling real estate and it was based on... Uh, Jack Lemmon and, yeah, and yeah, Glenn yeah. Gary Glenn sure. Ross yeah. and we wanted him to just be this kind of old kind of pathetic salesman who could never quite close <laughs> come on, the deal Gil. come on yeah you come on Gil and, and he was only supposed to be in that one episode which episode was the first one I, I can't remember the name of it I, oh no it's called Realty Bites where Marge becomes a real estate agent okay yeah and um we just thought it'd be a funny guy to have in the office. And Dan Castellaneta was so funny at the table read, we like instantly knew, oh, this guy has to be in other episodes. Right. We have to find... So he would frequently pop up. We'd just see him doing other jobs around town. And you know, he was selling cars or... Uh, you know, he's like, and he always refers to himself as Old Gil. You know, and, yeah, old Gil. yeah, and we, Old Gil's gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he, I told the wife, this is the, this is one's gonna be the one that puts us over the top. <laughs> and we, we've had him like <laughs> living. Never give up. I think in one episode he was like living in the basket of a hot air balloon that was <laughs> tethered somewhere, and he had a hot, he had a hot plate, and so it, you know, you those little you know happy accidents that suddenly like Gil's probably been in you know twenty episodes yeah. now, and uh, I feel like maybe Lionel Hutz is the same kind of thing yeah now uh, Lionel Hutz was was there when I got to the show he already existed and uh, voiced by Phil Hartman and uh and then uh you know I can't remember like where what episode he started it but uh you know it was just a fun you I'm sure it probably started as a one time we need an incompetent lawyer right. you know to represent the Simpsons but and, then yeah and then, he's and then it's guy. so funny you, you just want to keep him coming back you know? I wonder if the first episode was the one where he's where he handed Homer his card and told him if you get it wet it becomes a sponge <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it might have been in the one where where Burns hits Bart with the car. I oh yeah, that, that was that early might have on, been yeah. the first time. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, you watched the show before you started on it. Well, uh, it, it's funny because actually, <laughs> when I saw the shorts on Tracy Ullman, right, I I wasn't a huge fan. Yeah, totally different thing, but I get it. I I just you know I just kind of uh, I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I feel terrible saying. And then uh, <laughs> then when I heard they were gonna turn into a half hour show. I remember saying to my wife, oh, great, a half hour of that. You know, <laughs> just like I can't take 10 seconds of it. It'll never stick. <laughs> yeah. It'll never stick. Uh, Scully has spoken. Yeah. So when it, the show first came on, I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't watch it. The first thing my wife, Julie, was watching, and she finally said, you have to watch this show. I was just wow. being stubborn and right. contrarian. <laughs> and, uh, and she finally got me to sit down and watch it. And it happened to be the one where uh, it's called Bart the Daredevil, where Bart's going to skateboard over Springfield Gorge, yeah, yeah. and Homer winds up doing it by accident. And that sequence where 
you know, Homer, first of all, doesn't make it all the way over the gorge. Then they airlift him and yeah. they're hang, hitting his head all the way up. Then they put him in the ambulance. The ambulance hits the tree. <laughs> the stretcher goes back down the canyon. And I, I'm, it's one of the few times I can honestly say I was like really, my sides hurt from laughing yeah. so much. And I thought it, it was one of the most brilliant sequences I had seen in any TV show, yeah. live action or animated. And then I was instantly hooked. That's uh, amazing. So that's the first one you see, and that's the first yes, sequence. And yeah. it's hard to... Any one of those jokes would probably have been enough in that amount of time. Yes, yeah. And yet, just the, the <laughs> fact that it kept going and kept somehow getting funnier. Yeah. And the, I think the, the best part about it was that the ambulance just immediately hits a tree. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's parked right in front of it. It's just, it's just immediately, and he's right back out before you can stop laughing at what has happened already. You know, it could have gone a little longer, and then yeah. the thing wheels out. Now, those so moments good. are kind of like where you realize, you know, I mean, the fun of animation. Yeah, and it's right. a joke you can only pull off in animation. Right. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we, over the years, we try to find those kind of uh, little moments. I remember specifically, we were trying to not recreate that, but try to find something new, but in the vein of that sequence. Years later, where Homer was going to, uh, Homer and Mo were committing insurance fraud. And the plan was for Homer to drive Moe's car down a, a cliff uh -huh. and then uh, and have it go into the ocean. And just before it goes off the cliff, Homer's supposed to jump out of the car. So we have the car going down, and you know, Homer opens the door, jumps out, and he rolls, uh, and then he winds up hitting a rock right. that rolls him back into the open door of the car. The car door slams and it goes off the cliff. And we were very proud of that because uh, it, it, it was inspired by that uh, skateboarding sequence. How about that? Sequence. Right, you uh, had that in mind when you we, were like, oh, we yeah, got to do we were, something that can match that We were bit. trying to come close to the brilliance of that because you know, uh, you know, we knew we were, we were never going to top it. You know. Right, but still it looked great. Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. But th those, those shows you were listing in the first place, and, right. uh, and you know what? I can go back in. In and add time for the applause. Oh, okay, um, that'd, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the magic of editing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I might even find some applause and throw it in. There. <laughs> and people will wonder: Is this a live audience? Yeah, and if so, yeah. are they stupid? What yeah. is going on? It just should be that that crazy, like really rapid fire clapping that you would hear on stuff, <laughs> like you know, much faster than humans could normally clap. Oh, there was just yes, yeah. and maybe you'd like throw in a seal barking yes, or something. Yeah. Just, wait a minute, what the? Yeah, yeah. It's live at the L.A. Zoo. Um, so those were some of the shows that you worked on before you got to the Simpsons. Yeah, from like uh, 1986 to 1993, I just kind of worked on one crappy sitcom after another, um, you know, but I was thrilled to be doing it. And getting uh, getting all that, getting this experience. I mean, yes, yeah, you learn a lot, whether you're on, you know, a great show or a terrible show, you're always learning, you know, stuff. And, and you're always working with some good people, and, you know, there's only... There's only so many great shows on TV at any given time. So if those jobs are taken, you know, you consider yourself lucky to land on right. one of the other ones. And you just continue to try to learn and be professional and, and do the same work just as hard as you would work if you were on the show of your dreams. Still be super professional and work that because it just makes you a better writer. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity does come, you'll be ready for it. What was the first time you got paid to write a joke? First time I got paid to write a joke was... Uh, by I got paid by uh, uh, Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov. Oh, I read that. Yeah, yes. That's um, funny. Uh, I had uh, I had written some jokes and I was like starting to hang out at the um, 
like the improv and the comedy store out here. And I was doing some open mic nights uh, myself, uh, okay. performing, uh-huh. which I was quite terrible at. Oh, yeah? Are you sure about that? <laughs> you know, well, you know, I had... I remember having like one like great night and thinking, wow, I think I'm getting the hang of this, you know, and and then like the following week, the owner of the club, you know, came to watch me perform to see if I could like, be one of the non-paid regulars and I, I just bombed. But what uh, what I found was, first of all, it taught me a lot about joke writing. Being uh-huh. on stage, I learned how to streamline a joke to the right. minimum amount of work because what looks short on a piece of paper can be interminable on, when you're t- telling a group of strangers. But uh, so I met some kind. Of, I met a guy named Jimmy Brogan, who uh, yep. very. Uh, it was a great stand-up comic, and uh, and I so showed some jokes. I was. I decided I would try to sell some of my my jokes. Well, he was the, the head writer for for the Tonight Show as well. Yeah, right? he was the like um, the producer on the, when Jay Leno first took over. You know, Jimmy would you know work with the comics who would come on the show. Right. Okay, and he right. was always considered like a comics comic, and he's a super a very friendly guy, and and uh, really. Very, you know, nurturing and helpful to comics the first time they did the show. And Jimmy read some jokes I wrote, and one of them happened to have, like, a Russian angle to it. Because mm-hmm. and, and, I, I had no character on stage. My jokes were just about all sorts of random things. And Jimmy said, I know a guy who would probably want to buy this joke from you. Wow. And I hadn't heard of Yakov uh, at this point. And uh, so Jimmy uh, gave it to Yakov, and Yakov called me up and said, I want to buy this joke. Do you have any other Russian jokes? And and I just lied. I said, "Oh, sure, tons." And I spent a weekend. <laughs> I got just, a whole file. Oh yeah, <laughs> who doesn't? Uh, and I spent a weekend just writing, you know, anything I could, like jokes about Russians, Russia, government, you know, whatever. And uh, and uh, sent them over to him, and he took them on the road. And he called me up after a couple of weeks, and he said, "A lot of this stuff is working." Uh, I'd like to, you know, buy these jokes, and I'd like to hire you as my writer. So that's how that kind of worked out. Uh, he was all, he was great. I just talked to him a few days ago. We're still oh, yeah. friends, yeah. And uh, uh, so that's that was my first job, actually being paid to write a joke. Yeah, I assume he already had what a country. Yeah. Uh, yes, he had that. <laughs> it would be a good thing to be able to lay claim to. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you write for him? Well, I wrote a little line called "What a Country." A country yeah. exactly. <laughs> no way! Oh my God! You're the What a Country guy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun, and I got to meet you know, a lot of you know cool people. It was a fun time, you know, because there was a lot of people kind of breaking at that point. You know, people like you know, Louis Anderson and, uh-huh. and uh, Rick Overton and Charlie Fleischer and Stephen Wright. And, you know, it was, it was, you never knew like any given night at the club who was going to show up right. and do a set. So that was, was out here. Uh, that was out here, yeah. yeah. One night I was I was doing uh, the improv. It used to go down on Sunday nights was their open mic night and you just put your name on a piece of paper, they put it in the hat and they just draw as the night goes on from like, you know, 8 o'clock till 2 in the morning. Right, And I you know. go up Crazy. and do five minutes. Yeah. And, uh, the crowd gets thinner and thinner as you go because yeah. all the comics who go up leave. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, inevitably, I, you know, I'd wind up, you know, on at like you know one thirty, one forty-five, right. And then one week, my you know name got called early in the night. Like they told me like, you're coming up. Like there's like two more ahead of you. So I was, and it was like ten o'clock. The place was packed. Uh, so I knew my spot was coming up, and the the MC started to give an intro. And said, uh, you know, we got a real treat coming up for your next. And I thought, well, that's an odd intro. He doesn't know who I am. And, and what I didn't know was Robin Williams had come uh, into the club. For God's sake. 
And then you're next. And then he went up and did 45 minutes of, you know, absolutely hilarious stuff. Just owned the place. And then he finished. And then they went back to the open mic thing. And I was the next one called up. So literally while I'm walking, I'm, I'm walking up to the stage. There's people filing past me to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm getting, and I'm up there and I'm just watching everybody pay their bills and, and get out of the place. It was awful. Oh, <laughs> my God. And you thought it was going to be great. Yeah, that, 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 that is a... Uh, um, those are those are five words yeah. you definitely never want to hear as a uh, as an open mic comic. It's Robin Williams, then you, then you. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> there was one time I was hosting at the comic strip in New York, and um, Eddie Murphy came in, and um, so I just said, "Well, the uh, we have a special guest for you. Um, it doesn't need much of an introduction." I think you'll be happy you're here. Eddie Murphy, everybody. <laughs> that place, of course, just goes yes, nuts because yeah. he comes out of the back door. Yeah. They go completely nuts. He comes up. It's like five minutes before he can even say anything. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's huge. At yeah. this point. I can't remember exactly what point it was, yeah. but he's huge. And he destroys the place, and then he says goodnight, and I have to go back up afterwards. I'm hosting the show. So I go back up afterwards, and, and I get up there. I shake his hand. He's walking off. They're, they're up out of their seats. They're yeah. applauding. They're going nuts. They're whooping. They're doing the Arsenio thing. They're just going nuts. And I just let it go. I just kind of sat there. And when it kind of started coming down, I went up to the mic, and the first thing I said was, wow, you guys are really glad to have me back. <laughs> and That's then, great. bam, I had him back, That's and I was great. able to do my thing afterwards. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Just, um, I just talked to, uh, you said one of the shows you worked on was Everybody Loves Raymond. Right, yes. I talked yeah. to Phil Rosenthal yesterday. Oh, oh, Phil's great. But yeah, I loved working on uh, Raymond. Uh, I was there for seasons seven and eight. But this is um, while you're doing this. How, did, how is it? Because I think it was like you look at your IMDb page or something yeah. and it's sort of like, um, there were a couple of questions I had about it. Uh, this is one of them was... You're working on, you know, three of these shows at the same time. So right. I, I imagine, and, and sometimes it's like, it's like consulting this or consulting right. that. So what, what level of involvement are you able to take in those shows when they're happening simultaneously? People uh, have been, like, really uh, wonderfully generous to me about accommodating uh, my schedule. Uh, basically, it all kind of works on, like, every Tuesday I'm at The Simpsons. Um, uh, as a consulting producer, and as is Mike, right? Uh, as Mike is Wednesday. Oh, Mike uh, is Wednesday. Thursday is Tom Gamble and Max Pross, and and Friday is David Merkin. <laughs> it's kind of a so that's know, the like role of consulting producer. Yes, yeah, uh, and um, so Phil was you know, very gracious in allowing me to do uh, Simpson stuff while I was at Raymond. Uh, Mike Schur at Parks and Rec. Gave me the same arrangement. Um, what a great show that ended up being. Yes, yeah. So I, I've been very lucky that people do that. I, I was even doing the Simpsons movie while at Raymond, and Phil was just incredibly flexible uh, with me. And then, uh, and actually, uh, it's one of the reasons Phil appears in the Simpsons movie. He does the voice of a, I think the character is called Canyon Dad or Grand Canyon Dad. He's like a kid, uh, the dad of a kid who takes his kid to see the Grand Canyon. Uh -huh. I can't even remember what the joke is in the movie, but it's Phil doing the voice. Oh yeah, because uh, I was so grateful to him for you know how how flexible he was with me. Um, it was we had known each other you know socially a little bit and bumping into each other at Springsteen shows. Yeah. And then when I heard that, that there was a 
an opening at Raymond, I was already a huge fan of the show. My wife and I love the show, and uh, I was uh, interested in doing it. You know, I, the the comfort level for of me was just oh, well, I'll just go back and do more days at the Simpsons because I had just finished up a, a show of my own at the time called The Pits, but. Um, the thing came up at Raymond, and at first I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not, just out of my own laziness of changing jobs. You would be if, full-time staff. Yeah, it was a further further drive and all that, whereas The Simpsons <laughs> is, is, is relatively close to my house. Uh, <laughs> that's, it must be nice being in L.A., and that's how you yeah, determine yeah, yeah. where you which which show you yeah, want to yeah, work yeah. on. You're in a good spot. <laughs> it was a very good spot to be in. <laughs> well, can I throw yeah. a rock to it? But then I, I heard that CBS actually uh, turned uh, rejected my name when it was mentioned to them as a possibility to come over to Raymond because they said, well, he does, he's a cartoon guy. He, he just does cartoons. And that really scared me because you don't realize that you're being kind of uh, yeah, typecast, yeah. you know, as a certain type of writer, and then uh, so then I decided no, then I really want to do Raymond uh, <laughs> and, and prove them wrong. Right. And Phil, uh, fortunately, you know, stepped up for me with the network and and said no, this is the person I want, and it worked out great. I mean, it's they had a great staff, and I learned a lot, you know, from working with them and working with you know Phil and Ray. You know, Phil is just such a a great showrunner and a writer. That uh, first of all, he gets you out every night at like five, six o'clock. He mentioned, he mentioned that he said, you know, because we were talking about like SNL schedule and stuff like yes. that, and he he mentioned um, that not only did he think it uh, uh, unconstructive, yeah, um, but uh, but just uh, um, completely unnecessary and 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 sort of mean. It's it's just the way you know. Some people have these like kind of like warped theories that you know the magic happens after right. midnight. And I've been in those rooms many, many nights. Nothing magic has ever happened. <laughs> Unless you somebody know? was doing magic. Yes. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, one guy knew some magic. Yeah, you know, one some night, of hand. One that night was David it. Copperfield walked in. But, uh, <laughs> that's when the magic happened. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that's that's no, a funny joke. That's a funny joke, the idea that, like, you know, well, I'll tell you one thing. When David Copperfield walks in, yeah. that's when the magic <laughs> happens. <laughs> you know, inevitably, the jokes you put in, like, at 2 a.m., the next day, like when you see it in the cold light of day, they get cut because they're not funny. They were funny yeah, at two right. a.m. because you were all exhausted and punchy. Right. Uh, it's not productive. And Phil, uh, you know, had this theory. Uh, you know, go home. He would tell people like, "Go home and fight with your wives." <laughs> you <know that> <laughs> we're not all exactly like yeah, you. Yeah, like Phil. go home and fight with your wives and come back with stories for the show. Uh, <laughs> He said, if you're here all the time... What other purpose to have a family? Yes, yeah. They, they, they were all inspiration for a story. And some of the best episodes of Raymond were based on, you know, writers' real-life arguments. Sure. You know, with their spouses. Uh, and uh, and Phil... Sometimes you would just be telling a story in the room. You weren't pitching it for the show. You were just, it's like, saying <laughs> oh, something God, you funny won't believe what happened to me. And then you, you could see it in Phil's eyes. Like, at a certain point in the story... They were like this. It would, they would kind of light up, and you're like, "Oh shit, this is gonna wind up on the show." She's <laughs> yeah. gonna be mad at me, but yeah, because uh, Phil would just go, "That's an episode." Uh, and can it, it not be? It would be written on a card and put on the board, and you were off and running with it. But, uh, uh, one of the writers, Steve Scrovin, said uh, one time he and his wife were having a very heated argument about something, <laughs> and in the middle of the argument, 
she uh, she just said, and this better not wind up in a fucking Raymond episode. <laughs> and naturally it did. Oh, my God. And the next episode was a divorce episode. Yeah, yeah. But that's why the show was so, it was so good and relatable because you could sit at home or you're watching with your wife and you realize, yeah. you know, that's us. We've had that argument. We're you not know? the only ones, honey. Let's yes. make up. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Yeah. Uh, one time they, they did an episode where uh, Deborah wanted to go to Italy and Ray just didn't want to travel, and I'm kind of like that. And she, she's, and, and she said, "Why would you not want to go to Italy? It's a chance to see other cultures." And Raymond said, "And this is a line I had literally said to my wife years earlier." And I said, "I said I'm not really interested in other cultures." <laughs> and then Ray says it in the show, and I turned to my wife and said, "See, you know, I said it's not just me. She's you're basing your argument on a fictional TV character that you wrote. <laughs> no, at that time I wasn't even on the show. Oh, you were never. Oh, we okay. were just watching his fans. You know. Oh, he happened to use a line that you've learned. You've that learned I had before. said to my wife. You know, I'm not interested in other <laughs> cultures. Yeah. Look, let me be honest with you. Yeah. I forgot to mention this before we got yeah. married, but you should know something. <laughs> It was zero interest in yeah, things it, outside it, of this it, house. Yeah, the show was great at kind of hitting that sweet spot uh, where people, you know, c- felt connected to the characters. So that, but th- that's a that's an interesting story you say about uh, uh, here you are you you were you were writing for The Simpsons all this time you were the showrunner for The Simpsons. This, the, the Simpsons is a gigantic show. This is a, an amazing uh, credit. And then you wonder whether or not you want to go over to Raymond, and then you find that you're getting blocked from it potentially which seems crazy to anybody on the outside, but I kind of get what they're talking about. Right. So, and I get definitely get your desire to say, well, you're going to be wrong about that. I'm going to show you. What, how, what was that transition like? I mean, did you find it to be a little difficult in any way? Or was, I mean, it's obviously a very different thing, but... Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's different in that you, you know, when you go from, like, from animation to, you know, live action, it's, you know, you... Uh, you can't, you know, set characters on fire, you know, because <laughs> it's just, it's not as funny when you set a live human being on fire. Uh, and, you know, and things like, you know, the, you know the, it, it opens up a different part of your mind. You're just working in a different way. I mean, we couldn't have Ray strangle his kids. You know? <laughs> so, as much as we wanted. Yes, it's just not, it's just not funny with real people. Um but but for them it, to it, think it that forced, that's what you that that you're going to sit down and write a script with that stuff in it is so ridiculous. Well, you know, it's just it's you know the networks have this need to feel like they understand you know the process and how writing works and how writers think and that you can only do this kind of writing is you know it's insane you know it's just about stories and being able to tell stories with the characters and the context that you're given and um, yeah so. At that, from that point on, I decided, well, I'm never going to do just one thing again. So, like when the opportunity for Parks and Rec came, I had never done single cam before. Right. So I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. To, and that's a different style as it's well. It's a whole different style of writing uh, and shooting. So, uh, you know, I was really anxious to to do that and give that a try. Can and, you tell us a little bit about you know the basic differences between writing for multicam and single cam? Yeah. Well, in uh, multicam. Uh, you know, you have a, a studio audience there. There's a live audience. You're, you're kind of the, you know, performances may be slightly heightened, you know, because it's more of like a, it's like a play, you know, it's like doing a, a Broadway show. Uh, so you're, you're, you're playing a little bit more for the audience. And, you know, probably the biggest difference is like every scene, you know, has to end on a joke. You got to end on a laugh. 
because the audience that's there watches sitcoms at home and that's what they're kind of programmed to see. So if a, if a scene just suddenly ends uh, without a laugh, they're kind of thrown off. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, well, something, you know, died there. It's, right, it's, right, right, right. <laughs> they, they think you messed up. They yes, think it was yeah, on purpose yeah, that there's yeah. not a laugh. Yeah. Uh, so you just, uh, that's kind of like the... But that's not in single camp because you're not concerned about the audience in reaction. Camp, you're not a, you're concerned about the audience reactions. You're, you're, you're it's, they're a little more like um, kind of mini movies, uh-huh. um, and it's the rhythms are different. You're not writing so much like set up punchline type things. Uh, so you know, you, you know, I like I love both styles, uh, and I, I think like Modern Family, I think kind of blends it uh, in in a way. Like, like I can hear when I'm watching the show. Oh, that's that's a you. That's, that's a single a multi- cam joke. Yeah, or, or I would hear like, oh, that's a multi cam joke, you huh. know. But they, you know, kind of nicely disguised it and made it sound a little more conversational. Right. Than maybe in a multi cam joke, you might have worded it slightly different to make it punchier. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that difference. And then yeah. and depending on the character as well, I think like you you would imagine. I can imagine Phil, the 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 dad doing multicam type jokes because he's almost but it's almost part of his character to be a joke teller yeah or to believe that he is yeah 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 and the the fun in multicam is you know, the live audience does make it fun uh, it, it's uh and particularly once a show uh if a show is a hit it's it's kind of fun because like in raymond they knew the character so well you could cut to uh like you know ray could say something and you could cut to to uh to robert and or or you know or to, to Peter Boyle and and the audience already knew what he was thinking right. like what in this given situation right yeah yeah, yeah. he just looked they knew his yeah. opinion so you'd get the laugh first of all just by cutting to him you had a laugh then he would do the line which would get another laugh you know yeah. then you would cut to the reaction of the like like Deborah Marie and then you got another laugh you know off of that because the audience is are so connected with these characters. There's a great episode um, written by Tucker Cawley. It actually won an Emmy. Uh, and, and the whole thing is a, a very passive-aggressive battle Ray and Deborah are having over who has to put a suitcase away. Well, that's the one they tried to do in the movie, too. From a weekend trip, yeah. yeah. The Russians were saying that's not funny. I don't yeah. understand what's funny about that. Uh, and, it, it, and it was based on something that had really happened with Tucker and his mm-hmm. wife. And, uh, and there's a scene in it where... You know, Deborah finally admits to Frank. Frank's sitting in the recliner eating, you know, his chips or whatever he's normally doing, and she tells him what's going on. Uh, and and Frank says, he says, uh, he goes, I think that would come under the heading of woman's work. Oh yeah, right. And yeah, yeah. The, the camera just goes to Deborah, and without her saying anything, there's like a thirty second laugh because you know the show is at that point in season seven. The characters are very well established. Uh-huh. You know exactly what Deborah's thinking. So there's a long laugh before she even gets to the line. Uh, and ultimately it winds up, like, wait, I, I forgot what she says to Frank, but then he, he kind of back and goes, but then again, I could be wrong. Yeah. Know? Well, that's, so, well, yeah. and that's, that's interesting because that really points out the excitement and the difference of single cam, multi cam, because yeah. you can't write that pause exactly. into a single cam. Yeah. Even though they might be reacting that way at home, you don't get to tell that joke. Yeah, and yeah. you don't even know whether or not you get to tell that joke really. Yeah, that night it's up to her as an actress to gauge what the reaction is and how long she can hold that. Yes, yeah. and you know, so and if it's happening, hold it for as long as you can. Yeah, yeah. You know? And what I love, I love in single cams like like Parks and Rec and The Office and uh, Modern Family. 
they don't use like music to try and uh, and multicams don't do this either to try and tell you where the funny part is like uh, there's some single cams now where they're they're getting kind of heavy on scoring them like a small movie mm-hmm. and and you get to that you know I just call it do 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 where the music is telling you oh this is a lighthearted moment it's like you know I'll figure it out you right, know? Right. It, or maybe not or yeah they, if they don't have the confidence if that it's you will. funny the music isn't gonna suddenly make me laugh you know <laughs> it's you know it's it's I I think it's a little on the the, the cheesy side right. and uh, I don't personally you know, like it myself right they're all fun to write I I love multicam I love animation and I I love writing single cam I've had a blast doing to me they're a good show is a good show a bad show is a bad show <laughs> what know? other shows what what shows do you watch uh, let's not see. having a ton of time to watch television I would imagine I mean I, I, I can't keep up with all the things I'd like to yeah watch. I can honestly say like most of my uh, nights in without sounding like I'm kissing your ass uh, is Stuart and Colbert is oh, yeah? my uh, oh, my okay. wife and I watch it every single night yeah but I, well, you're welcome. Yeah, no, we love it. We I love came it. all this way to say you're welcome. So. so now we can wrap up the interview. Right yeah, we're here. done. That's all I needed to hear. I got what I need. Everybody out! I just, I just break through the this window. Is just, <laughs> this is an elaborate ruse to get a promo for the Daily Show, yeah. basically. Yeah, I got that out of Phil. There was one point where he, for for whatever reason, he said. Uh, he said to me, uh, um, "Well, I'd hire you for I'd hire you anytime." I said, "Oh, right, that's all I yeah. need." <laughs> I took some soap and I left. <laughs> yeah, I I, I watch. Uh, God, we uh, we we watch a lot of. Uh, we still watch a lot of network stuff. Uh, I, uh, we enjoy. I, you know, I love Parks and Rec, uh, and uh, you know The Office, which is now in its final season. Um, we lately uh, I've been watching uh, Girls uh, yeah which uh, you have to the ritual in my house now because I have five daughters all in their 20s uh, yeah. my oldest is 30 the other ones are in their 20s and they like to watch it but I can't watch it in the same room with them it's just as a dad yeah. it's yeah. too much because yeah. <laughs> I tried it once yeah. and it's kind of like first I, I, I'm you know watching the show and I'm laughing like Thinking what the characters are doing on screen, like wow, that's pretty crazy, huh? And then uh, I can see my daughters are like exchanging these kind of knowing looks of like, yeah, been there, you know, done yeah. that, or they're just kind of elbowing each other, like, oh shit, I ca- I can't watch with you guys. Yeah, or when they <laughs> when the semi when the semi loser sort of going over the top to be understanding dad comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, is that that's not me, girls? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, no, right? just, we're we got it, we got it, right? Yeah, we're good. They're relating to these girls way too much for my day. So literally Sunday nights, they'll be downstairs watching it. And I'm upstairs watching it. I'm watching, we're watching the yeah. same show. And then we'll get together. Like, yeah, it was a funny episode. Yeah, it was funny. But we won't get into the specifics. No, because I don't want to know that you thought a thing was funny yeah. because I know the only reason you would think it's funny. Yes. And exactly. I don't want to think that. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, um, can you tell me a little bit about Mike had told me that uh, there that that doing the Simpsons movie, which was fantastic, and, and you played a large oh, role thanks. in it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, and you, you, the, that's always a, a kind of a risky thing. Oh, now they're going to, it's going to be a movie, but boy, it was just so good. Um, and and he said that that was an interesting story in and of itself, just kind of getting it made or creating it. What, do yeah. you know what he's talking about? Is there something you can, like, tell me about oh, that? Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it took uh, it took a lot longer than we thought it was going to. Originally, we thought it was you know, going to take, you know, like, two, two and a half years, and it was a four-year process. Wow. Um, we wrote... That's like renovating a kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually the way that goes. Uh, we wrote, like, 
I believe it was 166 drafts of that movie. That's uh, insane. Yes. It, it, Full it, rewrites? Like? <laughs> not completely, but uh, significant changes. There was a lot of stuff on the either the you know the cutting room floor or just the room of the writer's room, <laughs> the floor of the writer's room. Um, now that you didn't set out thinking like we're going to do this, like obviously oh, no. not that many. No. Were you in on... All, all of those? Yes, I, uh, I was in so from, much work. from beginning to end. There was uh, myself and uh, Al Jean, uh, David Merkin, George Meyer, John Swartzwelder, John Vitti, Mike Reese, um, and, and Matt Groening and Jim Brooks, mm-hmm. I think, were the original the uh, group. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, the, the ones who, you know, said yes in the um <laughs> Yeah, we, 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 we weren't sure, like, how because the show was still going at the same time. Right. So it was. We didn't want to like not do a season of the show or do less episodes. So it was. It was very uh, you know time, particularly for Al Jean, who was constantly like having to run like upstairs to the writers' room of the show to make sure things were still on. He track was the showrunner at the time. Yeah, he was running the show, and then he'd come back down to the you know right. movie room, and uh, yeah, the, I think the toughest part of it was that we had waited so long to do it. That we found ourselves, you know, when trying to think of a story for it, we bumped into a lot of episodes of the show. Right. And, you know, we would get excited about something, and then what, somebody would remember, wait a minute, season three, didn't we kind of do this? Oh, and like, so oh, funny. fuck, you know? <laughs> that happens to us a lot, too. Yeah. It's like, we already did that. Sometimes it's like Colbert did that, but a lot of times it's like, we did that back when we did the thing. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay, all right, so well. So that, that was the toughest thing, was just coming up with a story that, that we felt we hadn't done and also a story that had enough in it visually and dramatically to support the weight of a movie. Right. Uh, that didn't just feel like an episode of the show. And, and also visually, we wanted to do things, you know, a little more cinematic. And, and uh, David Silverman, our director, did a great job of that. So... There were storylines. We had a lot of trouble with the um, Lisa uh, romance storyline. That uh, I think in the fi- <laughs> I think in the final version, it's her with an uh, an Irish boy, I believe, named Colin was the one we uh-huh. finally settled on. But there was uh, at one point a a big Lisa Milhouse romance uh, uh, that we ultimately discarded uh, and. There was another one too, a, a musician kid I think that got thrown out. And as those change, does that automatically kind of change other aspects? Yeah, and that's it hit like it, other scenes of the show. And the idea of them going to Alaska uh, came. It wasn't part of the original idea. Then it was how do we get them to Alaska? Was a long time. There was like chase scenes and these very elaborate. Chase, there was musical numbers uh, that came and went. Yeah. Uh, so it was a lot of you know trial and error, and it felt like at one point like every animator in town was working on that movie. Wow. Uh, uh, we just had teams going round the clock, and I, they were kind of the unsung heroes of it because as we were trying things, you know we could just you know pitch out an idea and write it up, and, and then the poor animators have to draw it and execute it. And that takes a long time. And then we would see it go, ah, that doesn't work. Just, just throw out right. two months of hard work by right. the animators. Um, so it was it was an interesting uh, process. We learned a lot. And uh, you, you know, doing a movie is different than doing a 22-minute show. And, um, and obviously you guys were aware of that, but but just these stumbling blocks. It's so, so interesting that, like, unless I'm, unless I'm getting this wrong, that it kind of, 
at, at the very beginning, it didn't really occur to you that, oh boy, we have to come up with a story that we haven't done yet. Or was that, was that part of like, when somebody said, let's do a Simpsons movie, the first thing in your head was like, about what that we haven't done? Yeah, we, we all went in uh, and we had we pitched, I you know, we had rough ideas of what maybe it could be. And then uh, and then we finally settled on this, the, the idea of some sort of Homer caused disaster in the town. And we all loved the idea of a dome being put over the town. Uh, we really fell in love with that. And then I think from that, we were like, well, what kind of disaster you know, would you have? And then that's where the pig came in. And I, and I think Matt Groening might have had the thing about the pig, you know, polluting the water supply in the town. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. We, but we had the dome kind of from day one. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, you, you knew you wanted to cover the town with a dome. Yes, six, yeah. That, <laughs> all we know uh, is something has to happen there that the rest of the world needs to cut off Springfield right. from. Yeah, uh, and then from there to figure out all the other problems. And then when we had the idea of the, the, the family being run out of town, uh, like the the mob, we, we wanted to do the angry mob scene with the torches, and you get all your characters in. But there was like, okay, we've covered the town with a dome, we've sealed it off from the world. Now we need to get the family out of town. Yeah, <laughs> so right. wait a minute. The, 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 yeah, thus, you know, you know, the sinkhole in the backyard was created. <laughs> uh, it's the classic: get your family in a dome, yeah. get the family out of uh, the, the dome. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's a classic structure, really, when you look yeah, at it. Yeah, and then we had to figure out: well, how long do we want them away from the town? Do we want to cut back to the town while the Simpsons are somewhere else? Sure. And and, and what? And you have take? a number of people working on this who have different opinions about those things. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah totally. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, all I, I I don't recall it ever like the arguments getting. Like unpleasant, uh, but there was you know heated discussion, yeah, uh, right. which you want. Uh, you want people to be passionate about their opinions, uh, uh, and they, there were times where we were just kind of you know just sick of it, and you, know, you want to just walk away from it for a while and come back with fresh eyes. So we had. I found uh, a few months ago. I was uh, that's the four years. Yeah, I was cleaning out my garage, and I found uh, our, a copy of our very first draft of the script. Which oh, was wow. incredibly wow. long. First, it was maybe like 190 pages. Or <laughs> uh, but I, I sat back and I really enjoyed reading it, just because there was tons of great jokes that uh, that you know didn't make it into the final movie yeah. because we changed stories. Uh, but it was just fun to read them again. And uh, what, an, what a great thing to have! The yes, first yeah. draft. Yeah, it was it was wow. really fun, and uh, you know we. We, we there was a lot of kind of you know secrecy around the movie. Uh, we were afraid of the internet of the scripts leaking out and things like that. Uh, uh, I think it was called on the first draft. I think it was called, which is why you clearly buried them all in your garage. But yeah, I think it was <laughs> called like, the, keep... the Mall Movie. Or it was. It didn't have the Simpsons name on it oh, okay. or anything. Um, and yeah, we we all like signed confidentiality agreements. Every every script was watermarked with your name in case somebody you know. Yeah, accidentally you, you lost take it, it or home sold it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I was always hiding it from my kids. Were always trying to get at it. Right, <laughs> right, right. But, um, yeah, it was a long, you know, process. But you know, fun when it was done. We were, we were, you know, pretty happy with the way it came out. Yeah, it was great. Uh, oh, thanks. I appreciate. Yeah, it. and I, I understand what you're talking about. Getting it done while you're also doing the show. We 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 wrote the two books, the America and Earth. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. While we were doing the show, and man, did things get busy around there when we were doing those. Yes, that's when we were working late and working yeah. weekends. And working dark weeks. Yeah. That's when we like, right now, I wouldn't be out here if we were working on a book. Yeah. We'd be working on the book. <laughs> yeah. One of the, and one of the last things that went into the movie that people, that 
wound up being one of the most popular things that we didn't anticipate was uh, Spider Pig. The, the <laughs> yeah. Spider Pig song was done, I would say, in the last six months of the movie. We just had Homer. We just wanted the pig making a mess in the house, and we had Homer like we had the hoof prints all over the floor and then we thought it was funny if they were on the ceiling and then we were like well how did, how did the pig get on the ceiling and uh, I think Al Jean said you know look Marge it's the amazing spider pig and, and then somebody else maybe David Merkin or somebody in the room David Silverman the director I think first started like spider pig Spider Pig, <laughs> and then we just started making up the lyrics, you know, it does whatever a Spider Pig does, <laughs> and then we go to the test screenings, and everyone's coming out singing that song uh, that was like, like really came up with last minute, last kind of thing. minute, and and just kind of like vomited out right. in, in ten seconds, and that was like one of the sticking. It had the, it, 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 but had Spider Pig been in the first draft, it's out. Probably. It's we out. probably would have gotten bored with yeah. it. Yeah. The benefit of timing. <laughs> Spider Pig benefited from timing. Yes, yeah. All right, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the Writer's Block. Mike Scully. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Uh, 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 a very fine person for uh, letting me Oh, can I put his, a plug uh, in for place? dads? Too, oh, yeah. For please do. Uh, I, I didn't know how much you wanted to talk about oh, it. Oh, sure. I'll just... Uh, uh, yeah, no. I'm, I'm uh, currently uh, working on a, uh, a live-action multicam show for Fox... Uh, called Dads, uh, written by Alex Sulkin and Wellesley Wild, an executive produced by Seth MacFarlane, which is the team who not only does Family Guy, but gave you uh, the movie Ted. Gave you, and pretty much every other show on television. I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're incredibly talented. We all worked together years ago, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. We worked together on a, a show called The Pits for Fox that lasted about four weeks. But that's where we all met for the first time. So right. out of that failed sitcom, yeah, uh, yeah the, blooms uh, arose. Yeah, Seth, you know, and Alec and Wellesley, you know, uh, teamed up, and they've gone on and done great things. So we have you know, high hopes for this show. We have a, a really great cast: Martin Mull and uh, is it this fall? Peter Regard. It's for this fall. We're shooting the first one uh, in about three weeks. Great. All right. So I just wanted to put a plug in. For Look that. for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watch every pilot and then decide after that what I'm going to do. But Dad, yeah, yeah, Dad is high up on the. List now, <laughs> gotta do it. You heard it here first on the yeah. writer's block, or maybe second. I don't know. Yeah, if you read Variety, you might have heard it already. <laughs> well, the networks are doing a lot more uh, multicam pilots this year than they've done, I would say, in the past five years. Yeah, uh, I think you're going to see more of a balance on the schedule next Sitcom's year. Sitcoms kind of storming back. Yes, it's it's coming back, and also it's a good thing. They're funny. Multicams, you can do like two multicam pilots for the cost of one single cam. And it's a great today only. Yeah, today only. <laughs> it's a great form because um, when it works, you know, like shows like Raymond or Big Bang, like CBS. Everyone says, "Oh, that's CBS territory." Like, no, it used to be all the networks' territory. You just lost faith. They started to blame. They would do a multicam pilot that didn't work, and they go, "Oh, the audience just hates the genre." And I always felt like, no, you can't blame the genre for the content. Right. You know, people, sometimes you just do shitty shows, you know. Right. They yeah. don't, you know, with the best of intentions, they just don't come out good. But uh, CBS, on the other hand, they try multicams that don't work, but they still believe in the ones that do. And they, they don't act embarrassed by them, you know, where the other networks kind of will do one a year and throw it at the audience and run away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, feeding a rabbit yes, dog. Yes, exactly. You know, so, uh, oh, look, he likes it. Yeah, Get another steak. I still Quick. watch, I'll watch you know, Raymond reruns or Seinfeld or Friends, and they still make me laugh a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I think it all depends on the show and the characters and, you know, I've seen bad single camps. You know, the, the camera work doesn't make the show funny or not funny. 
It's you know, it's the casting, it's the writing, it's all the things that always have to come together. Well, there have been a lot of good shows. There's a lot of good shows out there. There's a lot of good shows coming up, and you've been uh, um, involved and responsible for a lot of it. And uh, uh, thank you. Oh, for uh, uh, for for, for your contributions to uh, oh. to, to the comedic society. <laughs> well, I'm not qualified to do anything else. I didn't. Even go, yeah, there you I, go. I, I right in the beautiful that we have this I, out. I, yeah. I, what an out. I, I quit college the very first day I went. I went There's to, a lesson for you, kids. Yeah. So they don't waste your time. Don't college. go to college. <laughs> yes. Be like Mike. Yes, you can always fall back on show business if college doesn't work out. <laughs> but I can't imagine better <laughs> advice to go out on. Thank you very much, Mike. Say good night, Mike. Thank you, Jerry. Good night, Mike. <laughs> what did I tell you, blockheads? Good stuff. I cannot tell a lie. Big announcement here. I went to L.A., taped a bunch of interviews. It was awesome. So we're going to start posting new episodes every week from now on for at least the next few months, starting Monday the 25th with... Sarah Silverman. Why would I lie about that? Don't miss it. And don't miss the opportunity to tell your friends. April 1st, we have Phil Rosenthal, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. April 8th, the one and only Louis Black. We'll be taping that one live in front of an audience at the Chapel Hill Comedy Festival in North Carolina. This shit is for real. After that, Neil Brennan, Rob Corddry, the floodgates are open on the writer's block and you are soaking in it. Feel you next week. Feel you next week.